Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Great to have you out. Great to see you. And I just want to say... uh, say this to you, like, I love that song that you 2 I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, uh, any U2 fans in the house, Bono fans, love that stuff. I, um, I'll tell you that, and that particular song, actually, it's from an album uh, called The uh, Joshua Tree. It came out in 1987. Just hit after hit after hit on that album. I remember I bought it, bought it in cassette form uh, back in the day. And uh, it was... You know, it actually really spoke my heart, actually, because in those days, I was, um, I was actually going to school as uh, I was at University of Saskatchewan, and I was studying to become a mechanical engineer. And so I was uh, kind of on a track that was pretty good. And uh, even though it's not like my marks were that great, but uh, a C is a degree, right? And uh, so for the students out there, and uh, I just really... Um, um, felt at that time that I still hadn't found what I was looking for. Even though I was on this path, even though I was young and I was always told by people that, you know, this is the best time of your life, I didn't feel that in my heart and soul. I actually kind of more felt that, uh, you know, there's got to be something more. And so uh, during that time, actually, and this is, uh, um, I met uh, met some Christian people. I met some Christian people. They were, um, they were, uh, uh, they had a joy and hope about them, and they, they, I would say that they were really intrinsically motivated. They had a motivation, actually, that seemed to me to really come from within. They uh, didn't need things like externals to make them happy. You know, for me and my buddies, you know, we needed uh, alcohol. We needed... Um, uh, we needed to be at least passing our, our exams, and we needed to have some things around us to make ourselves happy. But these Christian people that I met, they didn't seem to need that. And I found that so fascinating, because I thought I knew church people. And uh, I, I met a lot of uh, church people when I was uh, uh, growing up in Turtleford, Saskatchewan, in northern Saskatchewan. And uh, I would say that, by and large, the people that I knew there, the church people, that I, could, I call them like random rule keepers. So they had these rules, like they didn't play cards, they, um, you know, they didn't play hockey on Sundays, which always screwed up our hockey team, because some of our best players were, were some of these church-going people. And... Uh, but I just, I didn't find their kind of brand, if you will, of Christianity to be particularly appealing. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, boy, when I met these Christian people that were internally motivated on campus, that they have this joy and hope about them that I actually found, uh, I found so uh, attractive and so uh, powerful. And so that's what I really want to focus on today, is how can we get this intrinsic, internal motivation and be motivated that way, instead of being motivated by, you know, external circumstances and the like. Because especially in this day and age, right, where, you know, there's one lockdown after another and all these rules are changing, rules are less attractive than ever. Do we think rules are going to save us? I don't think anybody thinks that, right? And, and rules keep changing. I was actually reflecting on this and thinking, wow, aren't the Ten Commandments fantastic? You know, uh, you know, thousands of years ago, we have this timeless Ten Commandments that, that God gave us that are still beautiful and effective today. Meanwhile, we, we seem to can't keep a rule for more than a couple of weeks around here. Anyway, just saying. So uh, 
Um, don't mean to cause any controversy out there. So anyway, uh, Pastor Mark, he touched on this thing that, you know, not about being a random rule keeper, but how can we be internally or intrinsically motivated? How, how can we do that? Because some of the externals are not that great right now. So how do we keep our internal motivation up? And uh, my kids, who are adults now, they, uh, they still live with me at the house and whatever, and I have kind of a funny story about this. And so anyway, there's a picture of my kids. They're a beautiful family. And uh, when my son, you see him there sitting down, when he saw this picture, he said, he said, Dad, it looks like you photoshopped yourself into an Asian family. So look at this next picture. And I'm like, no, that, put that, I don't like that picture, put it back, yeah, yeah, that's the one we like. And uh, I did not Photoshop myself into an Asian family, I promise you that that is my family. And people always say, oh, your kids get their good looks from their mother. Genetically, half mine. So you can say whatever you want, I know that they are half mine, and that is that. So anyway, those are my kids. So as you saw there, my kids, they're, they're adults now. So they are not little kids anymore. Uh, when our kids were smaller, we actually had different ways of motivating them. And so when they were motivating them, you know, we're a Christian family. So how do you get them to do things like read the Bible and pray and those types of things? Well, when they're smaller, you just lead them through it. You force, you know, since you force them to do it. This is what Hoffmans do. We, we uh, you know, we pray before we go to bed. We, uh, we pray before, uh, before we have supper. We, um, we, we read our Bible regularly. This is just what it means to be part of the family. And actually, my kids, as long as they're under my roof, uh, one of the things we say is, this is what Hoffmans do. Hoffmans go to Hoffmans go to church. And so we have this type of thing going on. But once they get older, it gets trickier. And so one of the things that we found particularly effective to get our kids, and this is a good secret to all the parents out there, is bribery. Okay. Don't, don't give out allowance for free. They want your allowance. They want your vehicle. Say, well, you, they want their laundry done. Well, you can barter with them. Read three chapters. Then you get this and whatever. But this is working less and less good as my kids get older and older. It's, getting, it's not working as well. And I was actually, actually, I tried to bribe one of my kids. And, uh, and uh, so when they, they came home recently and they said this, I said this to them. You know what? I decided I'm going to start charging you rent, room and board. And I'm going to charge you $5,000 a month, room and board. Or, or you can read three chapters of the Bible. So which should you take? And you know what? I thought this was a great, I honestly thought this was really smart what I did, but uh, this external motivation didn't work. Instead, I got talk back. And what they told me is this, Daddy, don't you want us to be intrinsically motivated? Don't you want me to want to want to read the Bible? And I thought, yeah, you know what? That is actually what I do want. And so in this sermon today, that's kind of what I want to focus on is how do we kind of gain that internal, intrinsic motivation? How do we kind of stir that up in ourselves? Because there can be these external things, but especially in this world, those externals aren't always uh, working for us. So I really want to answer that question today. 
So suffice to say, don't worry, I don't charge my kid $5,000 for rent, at least not yet. And uh, how do we cultivate our heart so that they um, don't just externally go through the motions? Because it's the same for all of us. You know, for me, I, uh, I, I fast once a week right now, and, uh, you know, about 22 hours or something like that. And so I had this idea. I'm going to fast twice a week this year. It's going to be a New Year's resolution of mine. So guess what happens? I just happen to be reading through the Bible, and I read through the uh, parable that Jesus tells about the two men that came to the temple. And the one, temple, the one fellow, the Pharisee, he comes back, and he says, and Jesus says, he says this, of course, that I tie, I... Um, I fast twice a week, and I tie the tenth of all I get. And just a thought went through my mind. I'm like, that's half my New Year's resolution. But this is the bad guy. <laughs> this, is not the, this is not the good guy in the parable. And it actually really, really struck me. And uh, because the guy that goes away justified in the parable is actually the, the one that couldn't even look towards the altar, that actually just said, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because in his heart, his intrinsic motivation was one of humility before God, knowing that he couldn't change himself. That's not to say that we shouldn't fast and pray. Of course, you should, next three days, it'll be a great thing for you. But I will say this, if that is, um, if you don't come with, if you don't, in the long run, allow God to you know, cultivate a spirit of humility in you, you know, it won't work. It'll just be another thing you do on your check-the-box list. So that is an important thing for us to think about. And I think especially as we think about this at the beginning of the year, that the greatest command that Jesus said was to love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your heart. And that that, so if we were to put first things first, that we would do that and that we would come to life um, and to saying, how can I love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, strength, and heart? How can I do that? How can I stir that up? There's a lot of different things that come to my mind when I think about this, things like simple obedience, uh, service, and all of that. But I do want to, today I want to maybe highlight a couple that we may not think about. And um, today's sermon is going to be based on Psalm 19. And so I think there's some things there that talk about how we can stir up our heart so that we become more intrinsically motivated. And they are uh, recognize God's revelation and revel in the relationship. So first of all, recognize God's revelations. So Psalm 1914, it ends with the, with this uh, verse. And you have to remember, uh, Psalm 19 is written by King David. And King David was a man who is said was written, or sorry, who was a man after God's own heart. It says it over and over again, describes him that way. Another way of saying that is that he was intrinsically motivated to follow God. He was internally motivated to follow God. And uh, this is how he ends the, the Psalm, Psalm 19. He says this, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. I just love that verse. First, I think it's very Canadian. May the words of my mouth. So polite. Right? And uh, so polite and just like, and uh, this verse actually has a very special place in my, uh, in my heart as well. Because I wasn't familiar with this verse uh, until, um, until, I had a, until I sang a song about it. So anyway, to tell that story, my, uh, 
uh, my wife and I, we were involved in uh, this ministry called Marriage Encounter. And so uh, it's a it's a ministry where you get a bunch of couples together and you uh, and you build into their marriages over a weekend. And my wife and I were part of the planning team for it. So anyway, it was great and we were doing these things. But then what happened was is the music uh, couple... Um, was not able to be there. So they asked my wife and I if we would be the music couple because my wife, she sings like a bird. The problem is, is I do not. I sing like a bird, but it's a crow. Like it's not a, it's not a great sound. And uh, I, I didn't grow up singing any of those things. I can't stay on key. I can't clap in time. All these types of things I struggle with. But they told me this. You can still do it. All you have to do is mouth the words and look lovingly at your wife and worship God. And I'm like, well, two out of three ain't bad. So I thought, I can do two, two of those three. I can do pretty well. And so that's what I did. And I, and I remember singing a song, and we sang this particular song. May, oh, sorry, it wasn't that loud. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my God. And so I'd look up at my wife, worshiping God, and barely saying a word. And so we got through it. And so anyway, this is, how, um, uh, this is how I really got familiar with this verse. And it's actually, it goes through my mind when I'm taking a walk or all those types of things. These, these verses always come into my mind. And, um, and I love how it talks about the internal behavior. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. Right? The meditations. How we... Uh, feel in our heart, our motivations in our heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. And notice also that he's doing it, he's living his life before an audience of one. Right? May they be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. And uh, his humbleness comes from recognizing how big God is. And whether you are married, single, young or old, it doesn't really matter. But what a Great way to think about maybe starting the new year. To put pleasing God first. May the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Because he is our rock. And he is our redeemer. But you might say, how did he get there? How did he get to this place where he has, who is seen as a man after God's own heart? Where he really um, may the meditations of his heart be pleasing to him. And it's actually interesting. So if you go back to the beginning of the psalm, in Psalm 19, in the first four verses, we actually see he's on a totally different topic. But I believe that it really actually leads to him being in this place where he has this right place before God. And this is what it says. It says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display us craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. So I could just imagine David. You have to remember he was a sheep herder. He was a shepherder for the first years. Remember when all of his brothers were off to war? He was, uh, he was, uh, he was taking care of the sheep. And so undoubtedly on those nights in the Judean hills, he would have been, um, he would have just been looking out at the night sky. And he would have looked out at the night sky. I don't know, is there any farmers here? Do we have any farmers? I know there's a couple of farmers here. So uh, I'll say the city ruins the night, night sky, right? If you, when you're in the city, you barely can see anything. When you go into the night sky 
And you can see the, uh, when there's no lights around, it is actually startling how beautiful, how beautiful uh, nature is, how beautiful the night skies are. And so that's what a David would have saw. And remember, there's not a lot of lights in that time. And that he would have looked out and, and just think how his heart was affected. He says, you know, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. So he looks beyond the creation, the heavens, to God himself, right? To the glory um, they declare his glory. So he's getting spoken to through nature. And you know what? I think maybe a lot of us have experienced that. I remember when I was growing up, I grew up in northern Saskatchewan, and I grew up on a farm. And one of the things that we did was, um, uh, um, that I did, my job was to drive the truck in the fall. And so the grain truck. And my, um, my dad would harvest. And so we had, we had a very hilly farm. And our nearest neighbor was like a mile and a half away. So when it was dark, it was dark as dark could be. And uh, I'll still remember we had a cab over truck, and my dad would go uh, kind of beyond, behind the hill with the combine all lit up. And when he did that, and then I looked out at the night sky, and because we had a cab over, there was a flat part on the truck. I could just kind of lay down there, and I looked out into the night sky. And you know, I knew nothing about God, nothing. But even in that moment, I would like, wow, that is amazing. And it was amazing, actually, for me to feel like a part of it. And you know, I never thought about God in those days. But if I ever thought there was something bigger than myself, it was then. And I think it has the effect of us kind of ordering our heart. And this was what David would have experienced all those uh, uh, thousands of years ago as well. And, you know, he would have had no idea about the... um, you know, about how big, uh, you know, the heavens actually are. That, you know, that the, uh, that the universe is like 13.8 um, uh, billion light years across, that there's hundreds of billions of galaxies, and in each of those uh, galaxies, there's like 100 billion stars. Like, it is so immense, it is actually mind-boggling. We see a tiny, tiny percent when we look at the night sky. And, you know, to think that God himself made it. And when God says it, it's actually super humble how he, uh, how he says it. In Genesis, it says, God made two great light lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. And he also made the stars. <laughs> Isn't that something? Like you think of all those stars, those trillions of stars, and he also made the stars. Just so, so amazing to think that God did, did that, but it's just, you know, he also made the stars. You know, I'm a bit of an astronomy buff, and so one of the shows I like to watch is uh, How the Universe Works. Anybody watch it? Love, love that show. And uh, so it talks about uh, all, sorts of, uh, all, all sorts of things about uh, the creation and all those things, although they don't, obviously don't look at it that way. And uh, they had a re- an episode uh, recently that talked about the, the Big Bang and how the universe got going some, you know, 13.8 billion years ago. And... Uh, and it was really fascinating to me. And don't worry too much about the Big Bang. If, if you say if you're a young Earther or whatever, just suffice to say if there's a Big Bang, there's a Big Banger, right? Like things didn't just pop in to nothing. And um, what I love about this, uh, about the episode, was that they said that all the galaxies that you see, all the stars you see, and even everything in this room and everybody all around, that it actually, that the data points to that it all got started in this infinitesimally small uh, dot, this speck 
if you will, that's smaller than you could imagine, and that all the universe was in that speck. And then they talk about the incomprehensibleness of it, the astrophysicists. They talk about, well, you know, that, that it's amazing that that would happen. And they say that the normal laws of physics, they actually break down when you get to something that small and that hot and everything, that, that things actually break down. And, um, uh, and so, uh, the, and they say things, obviously something changed at that time because he said, well, you would never come across something and you would say, well, that just popped into being. Like that speck just popped into being out of nothing. So say, uh, say you bought a 76-inch television for your downstairs man cave. And then your wife walked by it. And uh, she said, well, where'd that TV come from? And you said, oh, it just popped into being. And then uh, you would not get very far because you would say, no, it did not. And I'm pretty sure I do know where it came from. And... Uh, and it's because things don't do that in our experience, right? Things don't just pop into being. And then so the astrophysicist, he says, so what we're actually saying is that the universe kind of popped out of being from nothing, you know, into this speck, and then everything came from there. And they said they just don't understand it right now. And then they get onto things like multiverse and this type of thing, but that there's no proof for. But that, they, that what's interesting to me about it is that that thought of, Creation out of nothing is actually the biblical model and always has been for thousands of years. And it's called creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. And uh, I read this in, just in my quiet time, actually, this week. It was amazing. And it said, the Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth, and who forms the human spirit within a person. You know, what a great description, actually, of the Big Bang, right? One that stretched, that he stretched it out, and he did it in such a, you know, modest way, you know, because he, you know, he also made the stars. So what does this all mean for you and for me? And I think the one thing that it means for us, when we look out at the night sky and we can see all the incredibleness of uh, creation, is that we don't get caught up in thinking that we are um, meaningless because we are just a speck of dust in the greater scheme of things. This was actually famously put by Carl Sagan, the scientist. And uh, so this is Carl Sagan. And this, uh, what's interesting about this picture, it is taken by the uh, Voyager planetary probe that was sent out. And it was one of the last pictures that was taken. And uh, you see that little speck there? That is the Earth as seen from 4 billion miles away. It kind of is startling in a way because it kind of makes you, wow, we are, in the, if you look at it just from a universe standpoint, we're kind of small and uh, insignificant. And it says, look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. Does that make you feel warm and fuzzy? Right? <laughs> like it doesn't, right? Like it's like, Wow, that, you know, it just feel, it makes me feel tenuous, actually. So that's one ditch we can fall into. The other ditch we can fall into is to think that the world centers around us, because that's what it looks like from our standpoint, right? From our standpoint, the earth looks flat. It, it looks like the sun rises, although we know that, the, you know, the earth is actually round, and we know that we actually go around the sun, and all those types of things. And so that's the other ditch we can fall into, is to think that the world revolves around us. But how great is the biblical model that... We can look at the heavens and they declare the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. 
Isn't that startling? Isn't that amazing to think about? And they speak to us, even though they do not utter a word, the scripture tells us. And the world got started with God and his purposes for it. You know, and I think it actually helps our internal motivation when we think this way, because it kind of puts us in proper place. When we think, oh, my problems, they're too big for God. The pandemic is too big. Really? Think about it. He made the universe. Think how big it is. And he got it all going. He holds things all together by his powerful word. And so I think it's something that we can think about that can actually help us to be intrinsically motivated to follow this God because he's the creator of this beautiful, uh, this beautiful nature that he has given to us. So in the first half of Psalm 19... We get all of this stuff about uh, the sun and the stars and all and the beauty of it and everything else. But then, as you're reading along, it actually changes the topic from nature to the Bible. And you might say, "Well, what does nature have to do with the Bible?" And the thing that it actually has in common is that they're talking is that both are God's way of speaking. It's both God's way of speaking. And so that's the second point today: is is that we. Um, is that we revel in the revelation of God and we also revel in the relationship that we have with God. And there we see in the revelation of God, he talks about the joy of the Lord, that God is like honey, that, that the statutes, that the, um, the commandments of God, that they are as precious as gold. And uh, I think when David um, talks like that, he's actually reviving his, his soul. And because uh, I think we need to revive our soul in this day. And he, he talks about that. He talks about the statutes of God reviving his soul. And uh, anybody need reviving of their soul today? Right? You watch the news, right? I feel like taking a, well, I shouldn't say that, but anyway, I, you, feel, you feel like taking something after you watch the news. It can be so depressing. There's, there's this cartoon. Happy New Year 22. What's so new about it? COVID year three, and that's the 2021 guy all haggard. 2022, looking a lot like 2021, which looked a lot like 2020. I mean, we're three years into this thing. And so, you know, it can kind of be, kind of frankly, it can be depressing if we worry about the externals of our life. You know, it's so bad for your average Manitoban. Your average Manitoban doesn't know whether to stay at home because there was a 1,400 cases of COVID or whether they should stay home because it's minus 33 and their car won't start. So should I stay home because of COVID or should I stay home because it's so cold? We don't even know what to do. And uh, so these restrictions and all of this stuff, and uh, because of this, we're not, it's not good for man to be alone, right? It's not good for man to be alone. So we have all these mental health issues have actually doubled since the start of the pandemic. And, um, and I think part of it is, is we're putting our hope in the wrong things. We put our hope in the vaccine. We put our hope in the mask. We put hope on the restrictions. We put our hope in politicians. We put our hope in all sorts of things. And all that hope keeps getting disappointed. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so it's critical for us as Christian people that we put first things first. So we need to first revel in this relationship that we have with him. And that's what David did. And to remember that God is still speaking to us. Listen to what uh, David writes in, uh, this is halfway through Psalm 19, he says this. He says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, 
Reviving the soul, right? Reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. And the commandments of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. You know, it has a cadence, that psalm that's so beautiful. And the psalm was actually written to the director of music, so it was most likely supposed to be uh, sang or chanted. And... um, and so I think this is one of the ways that we can really cultivate our desire and really revel in the relationship we have with God is by singing. And, uh, and I read this the other day in my devotions from the uh, book of Revelations, and it says this. So you have to remember the book of Revelations is written to... Um, um, it's, it's written from John. He's in prison, actually, so he's in a terrible spot. And, uh, and he writes a vision of heaven. And this is part of what he saw And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of mighty ocean waves on the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. The great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God. I don't know about you, but I'm pumped to be part of that choir right? Like we're going to be part of that choir in heaven. You know, it's amazing to think about. And you know what? I'll be able to sing out loud too. Nobody's going to stop me from singing because my voice will be perfected. So it will be a perfect voice in heaven as well. Thanks for the clap. And so, and isn't, so, and isn't it amazing that we will be learning new stuff in heaven? We'll be learning new stuff in heaven. And we get a taste of it right here and right now. And uh, it will be a wonderful reality uh, for us. You know, I know it's a struggle right now to come in person. God bless you all for for coming. I do want to say this. I do understand why we want to stay apart, but it's important to come to corporate worship. And I know I'm speaking to the choir because you're already here. But you need to come to worship together, to pray together, and because it revives your soul. And there's nothing like corporate worship to do it. We can do it safe, but I would say, you know, and there's a bit of fear that you have to overcome to do it, but we'll keep you safe, and it's important for you to come. And uh, uh, let me share uh, one last story about how we can really revel in our relationship with God, and that's just by spending time with Him, however that may be. And, uh, you know, I'm a runner, and uh, one of my favorite runners actually is Eric Liddell, and he was a super talented sprinter. He uh, was a 100-meter uh, runner, and actually at the 1924 Olympic uh, Games in Paris, he, uh, he was uh, favored to win, and he actually made headline news across the globe because he refused to run because the qualifications happened on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, and so he would not... Uh, run. It was his personal conviction not to run on that day. And so uh, instead he runs the 400 meters. And even though he's, um, even though he's a 100 meters uh, runner, 400 isn't his best event, he wins. And it's actually quite amazing. Anybody know anything about sprinting? The difference between 100 and 400 meters is all the difference in the world. And uh, this is a picture of him here. Love the guy. Doesn't he look like he's wearing slippers to me? Anyway, um, and uh, that was his trademark way of running. He ran with his head back with, like this. And uh, my son, um, that you saw in the picture earlier, he's actually a runner as well. And uh, he runs the 400 meter, the same race. Actually, he, my son's personal best is very close to the time that he had in Paris, actually. And uh, 
Um, what's amazing about it to me is that you see how his head's back like this? My son, who read his uh, biography a number of times, actually, when he started running, he would run with his head back like this because he thought that's what made him go fast. Isn't that neat? And, uh, and uh, so... Um, and there's a famous line from the movie that he was in, Chariots of Fire, and he, said, he says this, God made me fast. And when, I f- and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And those that knew him said, you know, he didn't get that way because that's the way he was or from some kind of formal religious piety. But he got that because he had this wonderful relationship with God. And uh, he often described actually his um, uh, Christian life with a long-distance race. And uh, he summed, because in a long-distance run, um, you know, sometimes it's hard. And sometimes all you can do is to put one foot in front of the other. And so in the movie Chariots of Fire, it's portrayed that Eric Little, that he... um, that he actually preaches a sermon on the day that he's supposed to be running the 100-meter dash. And, it's, and he says this question, So where does the power come from to see the race to the end? It comes from within. See that intrinsic motivation? Then he reads from Isaiah chapter 40. He gives power to the faint, and them that have no strength, he increases might. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And this is where he got his intrinsic uh, motivation. Not because he was super talented, although he was super talented. Because if you know the rest of the story, after those 1924 Olympics, he actually goes on to China to be a missionary there. And if you know the history of China in the uh, 30s, uh, the, uh, Japan came and conquered large parts of China. And he actually ended up in a, in a prisoner of war camp. And so he was in a miserable, miserable time. But he was described, actually, as from the other POWs, described him as Jesus with running shoes on. Isn't that a great image? Jesus with running shoes on. And a doctor in prison said this about him, and I want to quote it because it's, it's a beautiful capture of his life. Not only did Eric Liddell organize sports and recreation through his time in the internment camp, he helped many people through teaching and tutoring. He gave special care to the older people, the weak and the ill, to whom the conditions in the camp were very trying. He was always involved in the Christian meetings, which are part of camp life. Despite the squalor of the open cesspools, rats, flies, and disease in the crowded camp, life took on a very normal routine, though without the faithful and cheerful support of Eric Liddell, many people would have never been able to manage. And it wasn't the circumstances, and it wasn't also because that's the way he was. It just wasn't the way he was. Because he actually did have a secret. And so it is recorded this, that every morning, by the flickering of light of a peanut oil lamp, he and a roommate in the men's cramped dormitory studied the Bible and talked with God for an hour every day. To use my language, he reveled in his relationship with God. And we too can take steps 
to having our soul renewed every day, to have our soul restored by recognizing God's many revelations to us, to revel in our relationship with him. And when we do that, we can ask God, as David did at the end of this song, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. God bless you. Please stand. I just want to take this moment as we do at the end of every service to, uh, to begin that relationship with Jesus. You know, the Bible actually tells us that what uh, can be known about God can actually be seen clearly through nature, through the things like the heavens. And what a, what, would it not be a better thing to start 2022 to say, I am going to begin my relationship with God. Or if I've fallen away, I am coming back today. So uh, with everybody's eyes closed, uh, just slip off your hand if you'd like to uh, receive Jesus into your life today. Appreciate the hands up. See you at the back. Good. Wonderful. So uh, let's uh, pray together and keep your... uh, We're going to all pray together and keep your eyes closed uh, through this. Lord God, I'm tired of living life my own way. And doing my own thing. Today it changes. I want to be a follower of yours. I want to put you first. Recognizing your revelations through nature and your word. And may the words of my mouth. And the meditations of my heart. Be pleasing to you my rock and my redeemer. I commit to following you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.